on the tee, Jack Nicholas. This is the minute that millions around the world have waited for. We will allow you to enjoy all of this. They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harrington with an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bogeyman Golf Podcast, hosted by Dave and Johnny. In this episode, I sat down with four-time Paralympic gold medalist Michael McKillop. I spent the day with him up at Ballycastle Golf Club. We filmed a little feature video with him, which is already out on our YouTube channel. So enjoy this piece with Michael. It's all about getting into athletics and how he used golf and sport in general as a form of rehabilitation for his cerebral palsy. But before we get into that, just a quick reminder that the Bogeyman Golf Podcast is brought to you by Tourism Northern Ireland. Now, what we've been doing for the last few weeks during this campaign with Tourism Northern Ireland is we've been focusing on different golf courses around Northern Ireland, shining a light on them and letting you know why you need to go and visit some of these incredible golf courses. So this week we are focusing on Kirkistown Castle Golf Club. It's situated 45 minutes from Belfast City in the Ards Peninsula of County Down. It's actually the nearest Lynx golf course to the city of Belfast. The club was created in 1902 by a number of British military generals, as kind of many golf courses or most golf courses around Ireland at the time were. In 1934, James Braid, a five-time Open Championship winner, redesigned the course, and for the most part, that's the routine that stands today. James Braid's 1906 victory in the Open Championship was actually the last successful defence of the title by a European until our very own Pori Carrington replicated that feat in 2008. Very interestingly, during World War II, huge amounts of sand were dug up from the golf club as the British Army used this soil for the construction of airfields. So specifically around the third and the first holes, you'll see massive crevices These are called the dips. It's actually become a very interesting characteristic of the club now, lending to its identity and its personality. The signature hole in the course has recently been lengthened and updated into a challenging but fair par 5. It used to be a very, very difficult long par 4. So the tee shot has gorse and out-of-bounds houses all along the left-hand side with new bunkering all along the right. Off the tee, you can see a windmill in the distance and that turbine just right of it is your line. That leaves you with a generally pretty long, blind approach to a small pulpit green sitting some 30 feet above the fairway, guarded again by gorse, OB, rough, and there's a big steep drop off short and left of the green. The defining feature and biggest defense of this course is the number of elevated greens throughout. It's a lovely track that is well worth visiting if you're looking for a challenging, but not too penal day out on the links. So as always, Guys, Northern Ireland is a destination that we cannot recommend enough. If you're looking at going for a day trip, a weekend trip, or whatever, Northern Ireland is a fantastic spot for golf with some great courses and great people. Speaking of, please enjoy this conversation now with Michael McKillop. Now, guys, I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by four-time Paralympic gold medalist, nine-time world champion, and an avid golfer. Plays off 18, but that's just, he's a complete sandbagger. He's not an 18 handicap. Michael McKillop, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Yourself? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks for, thanks for coming on the podcast and thanks for filming with us earlier on today for the kind of the feature piece that we're doing on, on you and your golfing journey. It's, it's going, to be, going to be good fun. Yeah, well, it m- makes me feel kind of 
better about myself after some of the shots that I hit that was um, above my station as I would probably say but also you got a, some shots that were not so wonderful but that's the joys of golf. I don't know I think in the edit we're just going to see really good shots like you stepped up on we started in the sixth hall here at Ballycastle Golf Club and yeah. you uh you know pure a three iron off the tee and hit your approach shot to about eight feet and drain the putt for birdie and you're like okay cool this is what we're in for yeah 18 handicap you were saying yeah 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 no that's the thing that's the the joys of uh, golf and the exciting part of it is sometimes whenever you step up um, and you had a lovely shot to start with it kind of gives you that kind of bit of a confidence a bit bit of a, a boost especially whenever you're i don't play regular golf um but then obviously you see the shots that kind of go wayward and stuff but um i've felt like i've over the years kind of calmed myself down as a yeah. as a golfer and just embraced the bad shots and realized that i've got 18 shots on the golf course um so if i hit 18 bad shots then i'm playing to level par so i guess that's my understanding of it now and i just enjoy it as much as possible so i'd like to take it all the way back because i guess for people that that may not know you too well you've been obviously in the headlines for your sport and achievements throughout your life as you mentioned four-time paralympic gold medalist you were for a period of your career regarded regarded as the fastest middle distance runner in the world growing up in northern ireland you had you were diagnosed with cerebral palsy as a child can you talk to me about about that diagnosis and and what life was like growing up i think the way i would talk about my life is a is a learning curve um from a very young age i learned to to accept things and i think i learned that from my parents because no parent wants to have a child that's disabled no parent wants to have to go through um, what my parents had to go through but I always use the quote, there's two primary choices in life, accept the conditions as they exist or accept the responsibility for changing them. So on that day that I got diagnosed, my life changed, but my parents' life changed. And um, I think w what I learned growing up was the ability to understand that it's okay, things are going to go wrong um, and things can improve, but it's just through perseverance and trying. Um, I got diagnosed at two years and 10 months cerebral palsy affects my right side the fine motor skills muscle tone muscle definition down my right side is just not as good as that but that also gave me a platform to sit here talking to you today because without my disability i wouldn't be a paralympic champion i wouldn't have them opportunities that i've been blessed and lucky enough to have and and, and that's why i kind of feel like my disability was a a blessing in disguise did i hear that you did you tell me before that you took up golf or first play golf when you were but what, three was it? About three or four, yeah. Basically, my parents used sport in general as my physiotherapy. Because of the kind of the use of my right hand was kind of non-existent. When I was a child, my hand sat like this. This is how tight um, I didn't have functioning, but it was through their kind of their playtime, as, as they would call it for me. It didn't matter if it was a hurling stick, it didn't matter if it was a hockey stick or a tennis racket or a golf club. It, as long as I was trying to use my right hand, trying to use my right leg in a more efficient way then that was uh, that was going to benefit me in the long run and even though my hand my right hand looks very similar to my left i don't really have function and use of my right hand the dexterity of my hand is is non-existent um and and okay it, it doesn't 
I just adapt and, and do use it in different forms. And obviously, when you cross over to golf, obviously you need both sides working to to balance out a, a good swing. But I find a way around that that gives me the best possible outcome. And um, again, I've just learned to to accept lots of different things in life. And I think golf is a frustrating sport for middle like handicappers not like you look at the pros on tv and you go jeepers them shots are consistently good but i guess whenever you're a mid handicapper if i was able to play every single day i'm sure i would improve to the point you're taking out all the bad shots and you're a lot more consistent so yeah your dad was a big part of your training he's obviously um an elite athlete himself um where did that drive to pursue athletics come from that and what age were you about when that kind of came because he because my dad obviously grew up and he ran for Ireland when I, as a junior my mum was quite good as a junior athlete and um, I think I just wanted to follow in the footsteps of him and his sporting ability and my mum's sporting ability and that was athletics and um, I grew up with the ambition of wanting just to be like everybody else and he was an athletics coach in a school mm. um, and he was coaching some of the best athletes at that time in school athletics and he grew a culture and a, a, and a team ethos as a family and that's all I wanted to be a part of. I wanted to be a part of all my friends and, and just do what they did and they were the ones that really pushed me on at a level that I never felt like I was potentially going to get to because, or other people expected me to because people just looked at me as a disabled boy at that stage. They didn't see a vision of Paralympic sport or because I grew up able-bodied in a way that, that was never explored, it was never talked about, um, th that side of sport for me. And obviously once I hit the age of 15, which will give me the, the opportunities to run in Paralympic sport, then that changed my whole life. And I used what I've learned in able-bodied sport and crossed it over into to para sport. So up until you were 15, you were competing with all your friends, mm -hmm. just a, a level footing. What was what was your first experience like then at, at 15 in Paralympic sport? Yeah, well, my dad made contact with Paralympics Ireland and seen that there was a championships for cerebral palsy people. Um, and I remember going down on that day and competing against one other guy in the race. And that just shows you how small of a, a group of athletes there was in Ireland within Parasport. It was very low-key and there was one other guy and I remember blasé as a 15-year-old boy these are disabled people like they can't be that good um, I'm gonna win the race because that's the mentality I had I, I had an able-bodied mentality about disabled people which is very ignorant and rude to think at that time but that's just how I thought and so many people out there do think that on a daily basis but I went down and I competed and I, I finished second I got beat and I was kind of like, I went down with my dad and I was just a strappy teenager at that. And I was like, oh, that was rubbish. He was like, no, it's not. And then I found out that the guy that I actually ran against was a Paralympic bronze medalist from Athens. And it gave me, I was kind of taken aback at that. And he had his medal to kind of show to the other people that were at the championships. And I remember I turned around to my dad and it was, again, that cheeky 15-year-old. As soon as I knew I was kind of close to him, mm. it gave me a better understanding. I was like, I don't want to touch him. I want to go one line in Beijing. And that was as a 15 year old boy, never thinking that I would ever go to a Paralympic Games. I didn't know how far I would become, how good I would get. But from a very early age, I had always that mentality of, I want to be the best. I want to be the best. I want to be better. Because 
growing up, everything had to be better to improve my ability to live a normal life because when I got diagnosed, my parents were told by the doctors they didn't know how severe my condition would get. They didn't know if I was going to end up in a wheelchair um, with my condition. So because cerebral palsy wasn't really looked at in a, a scientific basis at that stage, it gave me the understanding of trying to be better every single time and that 15 years of age was my first real experience of parasport. And so you, you mentioned that the doctors didn't really know how, se how severe your cerebral palsy was. Could you give an idea as to how severe it is or, or what, like does it progress as you, as you age or, or how, how does it work? Yeah, so kind of now kind of studies have carried out and they've pretty much said, obviously the, the muscle tone and muscle definition, if you were to look at my right leg compared to my left, one's extremely skinny. There's no muscle tone at all. The function and hip mobility is off balance. So if you looked at me, I'm kind of like lopsided in a way, just because the part of the brain that's affected just doesn't have the strength and signal to get down the right side. So it's just from an early age, that's what my parents tried to improve and, and give me that best opportunity to be able to function normally. Um, but yeah, like I'm just blessed and lucky enough to have parents that I do have. And I think people growing up as a young kid, you get frustrated at your parents because you want to go and do your own thing and you want to do things. But realistically, I learned that actually the benefit of having such a good core group behind me is, is what led me to success in general. Speaking of success, so going on from being 15 to eventually winning your first two Paralympic gold medals. What was that, that journey like? So obviously at 15, you're like, right, this is what I want. I don't want to touch that bronze. I'm going straight for gold. A, the, the, the journey to that must have been far from straightforward for no elite athlete is ever straightforward. Mm -hmm. But then the sense of pride and achievement that you must, you must have felt when, when those Olympic, Paralympic Games were, were complete. Yeah, the journey, I think, from when I was 15 I think to 18 when I went to my first Paralympic Games in Beijing. I think because I was that age, I was so naive. I didn't really, I was a 16 year old teenager going out with my friends and my dad kept it fun. Didn't get me seriously, but at the same time made me aware that you're getting funding here. You're being paid to support your ambition and your dream to go to your Paralympic Games. So you can't mess around. But at the same time, he allowed me to be with my friends and continue to train in school. Didn't make it a big fuss about it, but whenever we came to the championships at World, World Championships the following year in 2006, he, he made me take it seriously and he, he just allowed, he allowed me to express myself in the best possible way. And at 16, you, you, you're not scared of anything, you're not afraid of anything. And that gave me the best opportunity of winning that world title at 16. And I didn't think anything of it, but then the next two years, completely changed my life because at 17 years of age, I was going the following year, I, I had put my plan in with Sport Ireland and it was really, I'm getting more money because I just won world championships. And at 17 years of age, you're like, what do I do with money? Like <laughs> it probably at that stage was only probably 10,000 pound in the year, but seven, uh, 17 so years 17 of age, year you're old, like, yeah. bloody, I can go out and buy shoe, new shoes, new clothes, new things, but in actual fact, at that age, I didn't really understand what the money was for. And having my parents there give me that guidance of, this is how you use money. So I learned again at a young age, right, okay, I need to be sure with what I'm doing. And there was a plan and a structure for 
my, the money that was given to me. But again, going at an 18 years of age, there's not many Paralympic gold medals or Olympic gold medals in, on the island of Ireland. So when I were going to them games, I was expected to win. And that was a greater understanding of like, okay, I got to take this seriously. And going in the stadium and 90,000 people, again, I, I think back in my career, like at age 18, I was living people's dreams, dreams and ambitions. I'm just a lucky and blessed one that got the opportunity to put on that green singlet. And there I look and lie at how important my success has been because it's not just benefited me, it's benefited loads of different people who have said, oh, your achievements are so amazing. I got to watch it on TV and it made me feel so happy. And I guess I'm lucky to look back at my career now and I've done that for so many years and, and, and probably did my, my parents proud for what they had gone through at my early age to give me that platform and that ability and that functionality of my right side in a better manner than it could have been. Now guys, just a quick break in the action here with Michael to remind you that the Bogeyman Golf Podcast is presented by Gimme Golf Clothing. The guys at Gimme Golf have a new line of gear coming out at the moment from padded hoodies, padded gilets, tops, t-shirts and caps to so much more. So make sure you go visit gimmegolfclothing.com, enter the coupon code bogeyman15 at checkout to get 15% off. Now back to Michael McKillop. It was what, three years from your first Paralympic uh, para-athlete event to Rio or to Beijing and, and gold medals. Mm-hmm. Like three years, that's, that's it was very, quick. very, very quick. Yeah, like it was, it was quite strange because at 16 when I won my first world title, didn't think anything of it. Even, even that, going yeah. from your first event to yeah. winning a world title. But, but I would say because Parasport has developed over the years, if you're at that stage, I would openly admit and say Parasport was a lesser identity. There wasn't as it wasn't as professional as it is now. We're not see, we weren't seen as elite athletes. It was more sport or disabled people sport. Kind of like you go and you you'll take part. A lot of people would think that, but um, the more it's got on, you can see a change in people's perception of Parasport and investment. But back then, I came on the scene. But the good thing was I was running times that were equal to my age group at that stage. Um, so I always looked at my achievements in able-bodied sport and crossed that over. So as long as I was running times that able-bodied people would respect as good, then I seen that, okay, my para-achievements para were equal to. Um, and at that stage at 18, it was a quick shift to being a full-time athlete then, because as soon as I came back from Beijing at 18, I went full-time. And I was full-time until I retired at 32. What does full-time look like or, or mean? Well, as an 18-year-old boy, like, freedom. I was in a school structure. I was getting up at 8 o'clock in the morning, coming home. I was going training, coming home, doing your schoolwork, and then going to bed, and it was a routine. Whereas I think at a young age, and again, like I said, sport has moved on. There's so much science behind sport now where... There wasn't that support, there wasn't that person going, right, a lifestyle, right, you're 18 years of age, well, what are you doing with your life? For me, it was sitting at home, playing PlayStation, waking up at 10, 10 o'clock, playing PlayStation, eating breakfast, having lunch, going training, coming home, what do you do, stay up late? Because uh, that routine wasn't there. Um, my dad obviously can only try as much, but it's up to me personally. Um, but I learned over the years to really, okay, things have to get better. Um, 
because I went from being on 10,000 to a lot more. Um, and the way my dad, as my coach, my father, told me to respect it is because there was guys, able-bodied guys, that were way better than me, that were top-notch national levels, that were getting paid zero. So I was in a lucky, very privileged position, so it really made me understand, okay, I'm getting paid this amount of money, I have to take it serious, and that's what kept me focused, that's what kept me on the line, but also having that come from your father, it's different when it comes from a coach and you have your father at home. When you have two together, you have to respect your father and also respect the coach and bringing them. I had real respect because he could help me in personal aspects, but also running aspects. And I, I think I, I learned a lot of lessons um, at the start of my career of how important this is to not only me, but my dad, his reputation, a reputation, reputation um, and a lot more than just me. So throughout all this time, golf was a, was a form of play for you. Now that you've retired from competitive athletics and competitive running, has golf taken on more of a, I don't want to say a serious role, but at the same time you did compete in the first Irish Disability Open. So is, is, this, is golf another or a new avenue for you to hone in that competitive edge? Because you don't stop being a competitive person and a competitive athlete just because you've retired. Yeah. So has it, golf kind of filled that void for you? Well, yeah. That role? Yeah, for sure. Because I, I, I always think like I was looking for the next thing that I could focus at because when you take away such a big focus and, and this is where I've, I'm starting to really come to terms with, I'm a year, but just over a year retired. But at times last year, I felt really tough to kind of, or okay, what am I focused on? There wasn't really anything to focus on, and lucky opportunities came up. And being a part of Ultimate Hell Week on RTE, it was kind of that. That's a hell of an experience that I never thought it would come when I did retire. I thought, oh God, I'm I'm going to be sat at home doing nothing. Um, so that gave me a focus. And then I was thinking, right, okay, well, what else do I do? I, I wanted to still run but I also wanted to give back to charity. So I ended up doing the Dublin Marathon, which I never thought I would do, but it's an experience. So it got me to October. So that's nearly a whole year of being focused on something. And it's through golf, my whole life has always been a different focus, but also an enjoy, enjoyable focus away from athletics. So through my running career, I seen that as my safe place. That's where I could go and enjoy um, myself with my dad um, because once we turned up at a golf course running didn't exist I wasn't a runner he wasn't a coach we were a father and a son um, and we were competitive against each other even though he probably beat me um, a lot of the times um, but also it gives me that that fun and enjoyment that you have to have with your dad you always want to have that close relationship that you can avoid whatever's going on back at work because this wasn't work this was enjoyment and that's where i feel now where i'm at a stage where my dad's just retired he's gonna get his first membership hopefully in the next couple of months since he was like 16 years of age he's never had the opportunity because he was so focused on running and focused on his own career in running and then coaching career he like he missed he, he i think he missed like for instance in terms of what it takes to be a really good coach or really engage with sport. 
My dad missed 25 years of wedding anniversaries because there was one race, a national race, every single year that he, because he was so invested in it, he had 30, 40 guys in school that he took on his own with a bus driver and he was in control because he felt like he had a purpose with um, giving students the best opportunity to compete in the best possible places against the best possible in Ireland and that's where again I feel like golf has really played a, a good role for him as well so it was an escape for him and an escape for me and it, it just made it really enjoyable. It seems like golf is a lot more than just than solely a sport for you it seems like it's a incredibly personal one also probably a spiritual experience for for you and your family and your dad am, am I mistaken in, in, in that or? My mum absolutely despises golf because it takes so long um, that we're out of the house. But for my dad, yeah, there's a lot more meaning to golf. And it doesn't matter if I'm coming to play a couple of holes with you today. I still get wake up and go, I'm going to play golf today. I still get that buzz. It's this kind of same way I get through my career. I got that buzz. I was traveling the world and I was, I was either competing or I'm on training camps or whatever. I got that buzz. But at the same time, when I had, like I, 2015 I had a mental breakdown from what I felt I didn't have a, a sh an avenue apart from athletics at that time because everyone was I need to win I need to win I need to win there was no way out I didn't see that um, so it got me to a breaking point and and then that's where I realized actually because so many people go through mental health struggles and and unfortunately I was that person and at that time when I struggled, it was really difficult to come out because I felt like I was, I was Michael McKilp, the TV person that was really successful. Why, how is he struggling with mental health? But again, when I really bridged that gap with, okay, well, golf is something I love. I need to get back to that and I need to enjoy it with my father. And um, I would say golf saved me, but kind of was a, an avenue of escapism and, and, and support around that, giving me the pleasure of going out and going on a nice walk and hitting a good sh few shots and having a chat with your friends. And that's where I probably see now golf is a, is a, a really friendly opportunity to meet up with people they haven't seen in a while and enjoy the coastlines and nice courses. So is golf now a competitive avenue for you as well? So we, you played in the first Irish Disability Open, that's going to become a bigger and bigger event on the Golf Ireland calendar. Is, is that a competitive route you want to go down or is that just, it's an itch that you enjoy scratching, but it's always an enjoyable outlet for you more so? Yeah, I couldn't imagine myself getting, I don't, well, if I had the time, I have a, if I had the backing, if it was a Paralympic sport, it would be a different avenue to go down. Um, Parasport's not there yet in terms of golf. Um, once it becomes a Paralympic sport, there'll be backing, there'll be funding, there will be more opportunities. But for me personally, even though I would dream and love, because if I, genuinely, if I went back and I had the opportunity of being a, a full-time athlete in, in the Paralympic Games or being a full-time golfer in Paralympic Games, I'd be a full-time golfer tenfold. That's how much golf means to me personally. Um, so I see myself going forward. I, I think my, my wife would divorce me if I turn around and go, so yeah, but I'm going to travel the world and play golf in competitive para golf. But again, these are things that I would dream of, just like any other person would dream of going and being a professional golfer or having the opportunity to golf. And that's the, another thing of why I look at my, my disability and go again, 
that's I can compete against people the exactly same as me or or disabled, and that and that's a cool thing. It's like turning that negative perception of people going, oh, you know, like growing up, people go, oh, poor thing being disabled. To my parents, my parents didn't care. My parents just seen me as one of the others. They'd give me a kick up the arse and go go and play. If you fall over, get it back up and go go again. Um, so that's kind of where I see myself moving forward. Is is golf has been an enjoyment factor more than a competitive factor, but I'll definitely 100% play in every disability golf competition I can get my hands on because I feel like there's like that itch you talked about. It's just to be a part of something different, a part of something new that you can embrace and, and try and improve with hopefully my profile. Like being on here, um, hopefully a disabled golfer will see this or someone with a disability and go, actually, do you want know, a minute? I want to be a part of something bigger than just being disabled and and, and taking a chance in life and and, and uh, getting that so yeah one final break in our chat here with michael to let you guys know that the bogey men have teamed up with massage guns ireland a few weeks ago we were down at musgrave golf club with nikki daly and valerie mulcahy and we played an alternate shot match with the two girls and all of that was brought to you by Massage Guns Ireland. Massage Guns provide a deep tissue massage, which can help with knots and tension and working out muscles while helping to improve blood flow and quickly enhancing range of motion. When used properly, a massage gun can shorten your recovery time while relieving pain, tension and soreness. So if you go visit massagegunsireland.ie, enter in discount code BM20, you get 20% off your purchase. Now, back to Michael McKillop. So you, you were saying that obviously you used golf as a form of rehab for your right side of your, of your body. People will have seen that you, from the video, that you're, you're a left-handed golfer. How does your cerebral palsy affect your golf in the same way? How does your golf improve and, and work as rehab for you? Yeah, uh, obviously with cerebral palsy, there's an imbalance from left to right. My whole left side is non-affected. My right side is affected. So even holding a grip of a golf club, having my right hand is obviously not strong enough to hold it there, but when you have a dominant hand, obviously my left hand, potentially sometimes whenever this fatigues, so the longer I get into a golf round, more mistakes will come into play because I'm turning the club over or I'm closing the face and it's hooking or there are wee things that I'm aware of that'll happen, but again, the benefits that golf has because the range of motion is completely different to athletics because with athletics and running everyone's in a straight line whereas golf is rotational and that's going to help me in the long run because my condition is not it doesn't deteriorate as such and it, it gets worse it's going to get worse because i'm going to get older just like everybody else yeah. but my muscles will fatigue a lot quicker the older i get the um, due to the strength of it, I'm going to be weaker when I'm older. My limp will probably get worse if I don't continue to exercise mm. because when you don't use something, you lose something. And when you're so used to running and the muscles are being used, mine muscles naturally are just really, really tight. Mm. So whenever you move that forward into when I'm 50, 60 years of age, there could be problems, there could be issues, but I'll figure that out um, down the line. But doctors have really kind of came back and said when they've done more studying on cerebral palsy, my muscles on my right side are like 10 to 15 years 
ahead of my left side. So the impairments that I have on my right, so I'm kind of currently on my right side, I'm sitting in a 48-year-old body. And if you ask a 48-year-old playing golf, the rotations, the, the mobility in your shoulders and your hips and your knees and stuff are worse when you were younger. So I understand that as well and that the impairment does affect me in different ways. Have you ever thought about or, or wondered what you think your life would look like without athletics, without sport as, mm. as a whole? Yeah, just without sport, even just without a disability. I like think to myself, okay, because I, if I wasn't disabled and I was brought up in an athletics family and my dad was a coach, would I be a sub four minute miter? Would I have made the Olympics? That's the way I look at it and going, actually, but hold on a minute. That's not who I am. Um, if I was a, part, a disabled athlete without the, the opportunity, or if I was just a disabled man without the opportunity to support, I'd probably be sitting behind a desk, being antisocial, working a computer. Like for me, that is hell. For a lot of pe other people, is they feel comfortable in that, whereas I'm a lot more um, sociable and I love talking to people and helping people and, and, and engaging with people. And that's what I've learned through my life because with a disability, you have to adapt things and you need help with other. So I'm not afraid to ask for help. Whereas a lot of people with a disability or just in general would be too shy or too afraid to go, do you know what? I need help, I need support. And I go back to my mental health. That was the thing I got stuck on. I got stuck on my mental health in terms of I couldn't find a way but my whole life I've learned to ask for help so it just shows you the, how dangerous mental health can be you think to yourself you're fine but actually you're not fine um, and again I've just felt like I've I've came over a lot of hurdles but I've learned from every hurdle I've lost or that I've learned uh, came over and it's given me the best possible outlook in me personally my life and that I could help and support others get through them periods as well. What was that journey past your mental health struggles like? How long was it and, and what, did you, what did you do and what kind of support was, was there for you? I started struggling when I was, I think it was 2012, the build up to 2012. I still remember having a meeting with the chef de mission for the Paralympic Games for Ireland. And me and my parents, at that time, I just made it feel like I was stressed. I was just thinking, but I didn't say I was struggling really mentally. I was just like, I just said, oh, I'm just stressed. I just don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. Um, but I hit it from about 2012 to 2015. Um, and 2015 was that moment of, oh, crap, I really am not. Like, I'll openly admit, my dad probably doesn't know it, but at times I made up runs. I said, oh yeah, I went out for that run, but I didn't go out for that run. I lay in bed because I was afraid of going outside. Because running for a lot of people is a very lonely sport and that's maybe why I see golf as such an, a nice sport to go involved in because you're with people, you're engaged with people. Whereas sometimes you're, you're out in runs, you're on your own. You could be doing a 13 mile run on your own. And when you're mentally not stable or you're struggling with your mental health, there's a lot of bridges, there's a lot of cars, there's a lot of things that potentially can go wrong um, and that's what I, what I mean is like these things unfortunately happen to not just me so many people out there and 
I think that's again another string to my bow with golf. It's it, it's a safe place where you can go and enjoy yourself and not worry. You mentioned golf being a safe space, but it's also, and particularly in Ireland, a very supportive and community community based sport. I asked you this on the course: what makes golf in this region, but also this region of Ireland, so special for you? For me, obviously, the first four or five years of my life, I was brought up in Cushendall. We have a family house there. I'm in, now in control of that family house. Um, my uncle passed away and he's left it to me, but they've always been Michael McKillop. I'm the fourth generation Michael McKillop to own the house, so I feel like I've been brought up there. But again, the community when I was born with my disability and what my parents had to go through, there was other people there to help. It didn't matter if you were walking to the butchers, my parents would always be asked, how's Michael doing? How's he improving? Um, the one thing that my, I learned from my parents was that community feel. And it doesn't matter that I left when I was five years old, cushioned all after I won in 2012, they had a street party for me. Like, I hadn't been there since 1985, but they had a street party for my success. They were proud of what I had achieved. So when you really think of the, the golf club, there's not many things in like local communities around here. You've got your butchers, you've got your local shop, you've got your golf course, you've got your bars. What else is there to do? But now that you're starting to see so many visitors come to along the North Coast because of, like, for instance, Game of Thrones and the open in Portrush, like Cushendall and Ballycastle where we are today is just along the coast. It's one of the most scenic routes. So why wouldn't you want to come and play golf in a community that's very friendly and nice? The golf course is good. The scenery is good. It's, it, it's a bonus for everyone. And that brings trade into the local community and can rejuvenate parts of the, the coastline that have been probably struggling for so many years and like, there's a hotel that's derelict in Cushendall, but hopefully in the next year or so that's going to be taken over and, and built because I see that there's a, a need and a want for people wanting to come back to these small towns that were neglected as such whenever the crisis happened back in like 2008, 2009. So I'm very lucky to call and I always say I'm the only Michael McKillop to have my home address on my birth certificate. So that's whenever I say I'm a Cushendall man through and through because I'm proud to say that. Um, and I'll always be that until the day I die. So um, the community is everything for golf. And we even seen today when we were here at Ballycastle that they, might, they couldn't do as enough for us when we were here. So I think we're, we're very lucky to have the North Coast as such a beautiful spot for golf. But Michael, thank you very much for having this chat with me today. You've been your career has been inspirational and getting to meet you and spend time with you, you're even more of an inspiration than I, I thought previously. So thank you for the time. Thank you very much for having me on. On the tee, Jack Nicholas. This is the minute the millions around the world have waited for. We will allow you to enjoy all of this. They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. With an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory.